Well, good morning and welcome to the Vineyard. We're so glad you chose to spend part of your weekend with us during this holiday season. It's a great time today to gather together. Well, I'm going to start off by telling you a story. When I was seven years old, there was one thing that I really hoped for. It was the Precious Places Pony Stable. Did anyone else hope for this? This was the late 1980s. Okay, this thing was amazing, okay? You put a key into the chimney and then it opened up and laid flat. This, I mean, I just hoped so deeply that this would be under the tree. Well, in our family, every Christmas Eve, we would head to Eureka, Illinois, to my dad's parents' house, Grandma and Grandpa Layman, where we would celebrate with the Layman family. It was also Grandma Layman's birthday, and I remember being so excited to open gifts that year. Now, my brother Jay is two years younger than me, and we sat next to each other as the gifts were all passed out, and I was so excited. Now, my gift looked a little off to me, but I was still hopeful, and then they said, okay, it's time to open gifts, so we rip open the gifts, and I discover I have been given a race car track. (laughs) And then I look over at my brother, and I discover he has opened the Precious Places Pony Stable. And I squeal with delight because I realized the gifts had just gotten mixed up. And so I said, Grandma, Grandma, you, you mixed up our gifts. And I went to trade with my brother when my grandma chimed in. Now, Viola Lehman was not one to admit when she'd made a mistake. This is a true story. And she says, hold up. I picked those gifts out specifically for you, a race car track for you, Julie, and the stable for your brother, Jay, and you are not going to switch. Now, as you can imagine, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old are not handling this news well. I begin to cry, my brother's cheeks turn red, and I mean, it's about to all go real bad. When my mom leans over and through gritted teeth, she says, just say thank you, and we will switch them when we get home. And so what do I do? I just kind of meekly mumble, thank you, Grandma. My hope was in the gutter. My plan of playing with that precious place's pony stable was just going to have to wait. Now, eventually, we did go home, and I was able to switch gifts with my brother, and I played with that gift for hours. It was more than I could have hoped for. But now, as I think back of that story as an adult, I have so many questions. Like, what was Grandma really thinking in that moment? Now, I do want to go on record as saying that I have forgiven my grandma, but I think the lesson is that things don't always go as we hope. Often, we face disappointment in our lives. How many of you have ever been disappointed? Okay, good. So I'm talking to some people who understand this today. You know, often we have hopes and we have desires and dreams, and they turn out differently than we thought they would. Many of our disappointments are way bigger than not getting the toy that we'd hoped for. A failed marriage, a career that's unfulfilling, ongoing health problems with no cure, a child who's making poor choices, relational tensions and stress. You don't need me to tell you that there are many situations that leave us feeling less than hopeful. 
And if we're honest, these situations deeply affect our faith. Simply put, our faith is our trust in Jesus. So when things don't go as we hope, our trust is tested. Is God really good? Can his plan be trusted? Is my faith what I thought it was? Now, interestingly, hope and faith are tied together. There's a connection between these two concepts. And the writer of Hebrews talks about this connection. We have a definition for faith that includes hope. And so let's turn to Hebrews 11.1 and let's see what God tells us in his word. This is what it says. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is needed when we can't see it, when we can't touch it. It's not an intellectual understanding so much as it is a willingness to trust in, to cling onto, to rely on God. Faith is not wishful thinking, but it is confident, expectant waiting, which is hope, on and in God's promises. And today as we talk about faith, I'm not suggesting we have blind faith because we know that we are trusting in a person. And he has a track record of goodness and faithfulness. Our faith, our trust in God is very important to our relationship with him. And so hope and faith are so beautifully tied together. Well, last week, we launched into our Christmas sermon series, which we have entitled Hope is Here. Over the course of this next month, we want to explore this incredible truth that hope is here and his name is Jesus. He is here and he changes everything. And last week, we looked at the biblical words for hope and we discovered that hope is maybe a little different than we even knew. It's not optimism or positivity. Rather, it is waiting with expectancy. And we we talked about the difference between waiting for God and waiting with God. Such a beautiful picture that we can have hope that God is with us and that he is for us. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to explore hope when it comes to God's plan for our lives and our purpose. How can we receive hope no matter what part of the story we're in? Maybe we're at the beginning, maybe we're at the middle, maybe we're at the end, maybe we're in a really good part of our story, maybe we're in an okay part, maybe we're in a hard part of our story. We want to look at that relationship between hope and faith, and we're going to do that by turning to the story of Mary and seeing how she received hope lived in faith, and embraced the plan and purpose that God had for us. But first, I'm going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. And so we say, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here today to be the teacher. Give us ears to hear what you have for us. Come and be in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how many of you would say you're a planner? Go ahead and raise your hands. Okay, so some of us are planners. Okay, you know, for me, there's just something about making a list, or getting that calendar in order, or listing out the steps of a project that gets me jazzed. A plan gives me peace. And even if you're not a planner, I think that most of us can relate to this truth that we generally want to know what's going to happen to us. We want to know what the odds are. We want to know that it's all going to work out. And truthfully, planning can be really helpful and beneficial. But a couple of things I want to say at the beginning of this message as we talk about plans and purposes throughout uh, our time together today. The first is this. When it comes to the unfolding plan in our lives, we need to remember that not everything that happens to us is God's plan. We have an enemy 
And he seeks to make our lives very difficult. And so what can happen is when something painful happens in our lives, if we think, well, this is God's plan for me, that can be incredibly damaging to our relationship with him. And so we wanna have the right lens and the right filter on. We wanna remind ourselves of God's incredible character, his goodness, his faithfulness. So not everything that happens, it's not like a dichotomy where it's either God's plan or my plan. There's a lot of other factors at play. We live in what's called the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, which has come, there's this tension, we're in a battle. And so these lenses can really help us as we have this conversation. I think the other thing that we need to address today is that sometimes planning can get a bad rap. It can. It can. Planning in and of itself is not bad, okay? The truth is some of you could use a little activity in the planning area of your lives because we are called to active partnership with God. And we don't want to shirk that responsibility. We are called to be active partners. You know, for myself, my tendency to plan and be prepared has really helped me in my life in many ways as a wife and as a mom and as a leader. But as a disciple of Jesus, I'll be honest, it's often been a stumbling block for me. Now, why, you might ask? Well, God's plan is not always my plan. I know that is absolutely shocking that my strategy is not synonymous with his strategy. Does anyone else feel like this sometimes? Like, Lord, we need to recognize that what we think is best for us is not always what's best for us. I know it's just a shocking concept. You know, from a very young age, we struggle with this. Our four-year-old Molly has a sweet tooth. And so she believes that you have dessert after every meal. And so after breakfast, she will say to me, well, what's my dessert going to be? And I'm like, that's not what's best for you. So from the time we're very little, we struggle. We think we know what's best for us. But that is often not the case. I love how the writer of Proverbs puts it in Proverbs 16, 9. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. God is the one who determines our steps. And often his plans are different from our plans. And when our plans get messy, there are multiple responses that we can have. We can get afraid. I think we want to protect ourselves. We can get anxious. I think we want to know what's going to happen to us. We can want to control, whether that's manipulating or calculating. We can try to figure it out on our own because we think we know best. And usually these responses, they don't lead to fruit. They lead to frustration. When our plans get challenged, our hope and our faith get challenged. Because our circumstances, they can either fuel our faith or they can make our faith fragile. And so the question we need to talk about today is this, hope is here. How does this incredible truth um, help us embrace the plans and purposes that God has for us? And with that, let's turn to the Christmas story where we're gonna discover that we are in good company because God's people were hoping for a different plan. Let's talk about the context of uh, what life was like when Jesus was about to be born. The Israelites had been subject to foreign rule for thousands of years, in and out. And when Jesus is born, Judea is under Roman occupation. And life was terrible for the Jewish people because there was heavy taxation, there was oppression. Uh, they were not treated fairly or well. And so there were really challenging circumstances that would have caused the people of Israel, really, their faith and their hope would have been affected. 
Now, they did have some hope because their scriptures foretold of a prophecy that a Messiah would be born, a Savior would come, and he would reestablish the kingdom of God, and God's people would reign again with this king. And the people, the Israelites, believed this would be an actual king who would overthrow the Roman Empire. And so it's on this stage that we meet Mary. Now, you might not have known this, but theologians and historians believe that Mary was between the ages of 13 and 16. She was very young. She would have been an active part of her family. She would have had household chores and responsibilities, growing crops, taking care of kids, doing the housework. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, and he was a carpenter. And Together, um, they were considered husband and wife at the time that the story starts. Now, their wedding ceremony had not taken place yet, but in Jewish culture, even though they were engaged, legally they were married, but they had not yet slept together. And so we're gonna meet Mary here. And you know, when you think about her, what was her plan for her life? I mean, if I had to guess, she's young, she's engaged. Their plan, Mary and Joseph's, was probably for a successful business, a house full of kids, raising their children in the faith they deeply believed in and living a normal Jewish life. But that was not exactly God's plan. Mary was an ordinary woman with an extraordinary call. God's plan was that she would conceive and carry and nurture the Messiah. And Mary's Faith throughout this journey is a model to each of us. So we're gonna go to Luke 1. That's gonna be our text today. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read a little bit and then I'm gonna stop and just tell you what I notice. Okay, and then we're gonna kind of work our way through this text. And so I'm gonna pick up in verse 28. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Now, a couple interesting things here. Greetings during this time were really normal, but they were usually based on your social status, and Mary has no status. She's a teenager. She's at the bottom of society. And here we find out that she has been called favored woman. And then the other interesting thing is all throughout Scripture, when the Lord spoke messages like this through angels, he often encouraged his servants that he was with them. And I loved that, that the Lord is with you, because that ties back to this idea that we learned last week, that hope is that God is with us. And so Gabriel's saying right out of the gate, listen, there's two things you need to know. You are favored, and God is with you. Now, I do not blame Mary at all for her very relatable response. In my mind, she's, you know, she's like, huh, me, what, huh? Are you talking to me? And then immediately, because she's a teenager, I think she thinks, what did I do? What did I do? Her response is so relatable. Gabriel, sensing that fear, he reassures her. He's like, listen, don't be afraid. I have good news. And I think this is a good, um, a good thing for us to know that sometimes when God reveals his plan to us, we're gonna feel things. We're gonna be like, what? Wait, you talking, you talking to me, God? And so this is what Gabriel goes on to tell her. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now we read this and we have the benefit of 2000 years and the story unfolding. But in this moment, it is so challenging for us to understand the profoundness of what what Gabriel is saying to Mary. 
You see, all the people of Israel would have known this prophecy. All of them would have been praying for this prophecy to come to pass. And in this moment, what Gabriel is saying is he's saying, the Messiah is coming. You, your son, who you will name Jesus, will sit on David's throne. Again, all very prophetic from what was told many years ago. And Israel will reign again. She's 13 to 16 years old. And she hears this. There is no one in all of Israel who would not have known about this prophecy. And in this moment, she finds out that God has chosen her. Very, very profound. And again, hard for us to to, to grasp. I want you to put yourself in her shoes for a moment. I want you to imagine yourself as a teenager. I know we've blocked out many of those memories, but go there for a moment. And I want you to think as a teenager with your life ahead of you, with your hopes and your dreams and your plans laid out, and then you receive a message like this. She is being invited into an incredible and impossible plan. And this leads Mary to clarify in verse 34. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What I love about this little part is that Mary shows us that when we're invited into God's plan, when we're invited into partnership, we can ask questions. We can say, Lord, help me understand. Help me see what I don't yet see because this plan sounds impossible. And then so important, Gabriel highlights the work of the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Holy Spirit is the one who is going to uh, make Mary conceive. And I love this picture. It's almost a prophetic picture in my mind that the Holy Spirit is the one who puts God's plans in our bellies. And then it's the Holy Spirit in us who helps us live out those plans. And so the Holy Spirit is so key in all of this plans and purpose and partnership. Knowing this plan came with a sacrifice, Gabriel wants to encourage her. He's like, listen, let me tell you some other ways that God's working here. So let's pick up in verse 36. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. When God invites you into his plan, you know what he often does? He sends confirming signs along the way. And this is why it's so important to do life with people, to be in small group, to be committed to a smaller community, because when God is moving in the lives of those that you love, it is a signpost to you. It is evidence of his goodness and his faithfulness. This is not, he's not inviting us into blind faith. He wants us to know who he is. And this news, it would have been really encouraging to Mary. Why? Because her barren cousin, who was way too old to bear children, had gotten pregnant. I love the way another version of the Bible says, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. This is the truth. So Mary, she, she's heard the plan, she's asked the question, she's been encouraged by the news of her cousin, and then this is how she responds. Verse 38, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant, may everything you have said about me come true. She received hope, she lived in faith, and she embraced the plan that God had for her. I love the prayer that she, or her response, it's almost like a prayer, may it be, Lord, May it be as you've said, I am your servant. And I think again, let's remind ourselves that this plan would have changed her entire life. Her family would have been confused. 
She would have been labeled an adulteress the rest of her life. Her child would have been seen as illegitimate. Her plan for a quiet life with Joseph would not be. Mary would not have the benefit that we all have now where we know the whole picture. But despite her fear, despite worry for her son, despite her desire to control what her life would be like, she says yes to God's plan. So Mary, with hope in her heart and faith, consents to God's plan. And I think today for some of us, he's inviting us to consent to his plan. He's inviting us to say yes to the plan that he is calling each of us to. And I wish today I could tell you, you know, from here on out, Mary's story was rainbows and butterflies, never another hiccup. No, that's just not how it is because saying yes to God's plan does not mean that you're not gonna have any more problems or pain in your life. You know, just look at Mary's story. She says yes to this, and then nine months later, she has to travel away from her home and give birth in front of animals. Now, if you've given birth before, I mean, ladies, come on. And then just two years later, she'd have to flee to a foreign country with her baby boy and her husband because King Herod wanted to kill all the baby boys. And then a few years later, she'd realized that they left their 12-year-old in Jerusalem and they were already traveling on the road and he wasn't there. Imagine the panic that she must have felt leaving her son in a big city. And then her son would begin his ministry to honestly mixed reviews. I mean, people were like, hmm, what? Who does this guy think he is? He's a carpenter. And then of course, she would watch her son be arrested and beaten, and killed. You see, Mary's first yes was just that, a first yes. But her life of hope and faith, the example that she is for us, is a beautiful example of saying yes to what God has for each and every one of us. And what we see is how important faith is in this whole journey. Let's go back to Hebrews 11.1. Remember, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Again, this faith, it's not, I'm not asking for blind faith. I'm asking for faith that's built on time and the word of God, on prophecy, on history. You have faith in a person. And the truth is, Mary had faith in God before any of this even started. But she actively chose to say yes to the plan that Jesus was inviting her into. And I'm not saying that it was always easy, but our faith is super important. Let's keep reading down in Hebrews 11. Let's go to Hebrews 11, 6. This is what the writer says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's not impossible to to please God without, it's not difficult, sorry, to please God without faith. It's impossible. That's a staggering thought. Have you considered what you believe about God? Because sometimes I found that in hard circumstances where my faith is being challenged, what I believe about God is also being challenged. We can so easily crumble. We, we can become fragile and we give in to things like worry and fear and control. And in this season, I think there is an invitation to solidify what do you believe about God? We must believe that he is. What does that mean? We must believe that he is, that he is real, that he exists, that he is powerful, that he is love, that he is for us. One of his names is I am. 
And he says to us, he is. He will reveal himself to the seeking heart and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so Mary's belief in God's existence and his promises led her to a life that pleased the Lord. And may we, like Mary, may we earnestly seek God in our daily lives, trusting him, surrendering our plans to him as Mary shows us we can do. Our hope is revealed as we surrender to God's plan for our lives. Because the truth is we wanna be people who trust in God's plan, even when it seems impossible. You know, last week we said that hope is waiting with him. And this week, what I wanna encourage us with is that our hope is in him. So hope waiting with him, hope in him, with and in. And I wanna take us to Ephesians 2.10. This is the apostle Paul, and he's talking about God's plan for us. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see, when we say yes to Jesus, when we receive him, we are made new. Did you catch it in there? In him. Where's our hope? Our hope is in him. So when we become new, Jesus comes to live inside us. So why? Why? Why does all? Because God has good things that he has planned for us long ago. We can know him, he's with us, and he's in us. And we can surrender our plans and purposes to him. We can live and trust instead of fear. Right now, I want you to think about the things in your life that haven't go the way that you planned. I didn't think I was going to live in Champaign-Urbana my whole life. I'm a townie. All of us kids who are townies, we all want to go somewhere different, somewhere bigger, somewhere warmer. And yet here I am 41 years later. It wasn't my plan to have four kids. I was perfectly content with three when five years ago this week, we discovered that we were unexpectedly expecting. And let me just say, some of the best things in life are not planned. It wasn't my plan to be a senior pastor. I was a middle school teacher and then I stayed home and then I worked on this team in a different role. I'd watched my parents do this job and truthfully, I wanted an easy job. But as I stand before you today, I know that this was God's plan. This isn't just about my story and God's plan for my life. This is about you and your story and God's plan for your life. And he's inviting each of us to have a fresh dose of hope and faith in him. And I wanna end our time together today by telling you a story of a friend of mine that I think is gonna really encourage you. A few months ago, I met Mel Molina in the nursery. She faithfully serves in Kingdom Kids as a nursery coordinator, and she has been on a journey of hope and faith, and this is what Mel writes. I grew up in Costa Rica, and since I was 12 years old, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but when I was in eighth grade, I went to a small group at a friend's house, and that's how I came to know God. Soon after that, I gave my life to Jesus. With God in my life, it became, I became even more sure that the idea of becoming a doctor was God's plan for my life. So there was no doubt in my mind this was gonna happen. In Costa Rica, the best universities are the public ones, and these are also the hardest to get into. I'd always had good grades, so I was sure I was gonna get in. I needed a 693 on the exam out of 800 to be accepted into medical school, and I got a 690. I was devastated. 
My second option was nutrition, and I put that as my second option only because the classes I had to take for the first year were the both, were, were both, uh, for, for both were the same. So my plan was to start in nutrition and then switch my major to medicine, but it wasn't that simple. My class load was difficult. I became overwhelmed and started missing and failing classes, and I realized switching majors would no longer be a possibility. I was still convinced that I wanted to study medicine, and my parents agreed for me to go to a private university, but the academic level wasn't good, and I realized I was going to be wasting my time and my parents' resources, and I decided to go back to that public university in Costa Rica, but I wanted to avoid anything health-related. So I picked chemical engineering and studied that for two years. Talk about a roller coaster, right? This is a lot, but I think a lot of us can relate to this, that we have a dream in our heart, and then we keep trying to pursue it, and that's not wrong, but let's continue with Mel's story. During this season, I became more involved in church, and my relationship with God deepened. One day, a group of missionaries from YWAM came to share about missions in our youth service, and I, I started to feel a fire in my heart, and I felt God saying, this is what he wanted me to do, so I decided to quit school and join YWAM. It was a tough decision, First of all, because my parents were not Christians or anyone else in my family for that matter. So to say that they didn't like the idea of me quitting school to become a missionary is an understatement. Secondly, I decided to attend discipleship training school in YWAM, and it was very expensive. But this was the best decision of my life. My relationship with the Lord grew so much. I was walking with Jesus every single minute of the day, listening to Holy Spirit, worshiping and praying for people. By the end of 2014, I had finished my school and I was faced with the decision to stay at YWAM or, and work as a full-time missionary or do something else. So I prayed and fasted for about a week and felt God saying, I had to go back to school and become a nutritionist. I was kind of sad because I wanted to stay at YWAM and I felt like it was a more obvious God plan, you know, to be a missionary but I was obedient and I returned home and went back to school. I love how Mel included God in this whole discernment process. Even though it wasn't the answer she wanted, she obeyed. Well, after returning home, everything fell apart. My life had changed in YWAM, but the rest of the world hadn't changed. I broke up with my boyfriend who I was going to marry which meant breaking up with his family, which I really loved them. It was like having a second breakup. I was fighting with my mom every day, so I moved out of the house. I went to live with my dad. I didn't have any friends at school. My church friends had decided to go to a different church. I didn't understand why God's plans for my life were so different than my plans. I thought after going to YWAM, everything was going to be great, but instead everything was so hard and I felt alone. It was like I was drowning, and this feeling, it lasted two years. I think so many of us can relate to parts of Mel's story. We follow God's leading. We put our hope and our faith in him, and then things aren't going the way we think they're going to go. And this leads to hiccups. It leads to hopelessness. And then fear and frustration and anxiety and the desire to control, all of these things become normal responses to the circumstances that we're facing. And so often, you know, we want things to happen in a line. We want it to go from A to B to C, but instead it's often like this picture. We can't see. We don't have that perspective. But this is a feeling that many of us have. And this is what Mel continues to write. During this time, I was always fighting with God, asking why. Trying to get back to that deep relationship I had with him, I felt broken. I wondered, was God punishing me? But why? I had given everything to follow him. I began to question his goodness. 
To be honest, I did not always cooperate with the Holy Spirit, but I did know that I needed more connection with God. And so I would pray and ask the Holy Spirit for more revelation of who God was, because I knew that the more I knew him, the more I could trust him, even if his plans were different than mine. And in those moments, my faith would grow stronger, but it still felt so fragile. I held on to hope that one day it would return to where it had been. This is Hebrews eleven six. This is where we are being challenged. What do we believe about God? Because what we believe about God is directly related to how we're gonna behave. And there is an invitation today to remind ourselves that God is a rewarder. He's a redeemer. He's a restorer. I love how Mel was searching in the midst of her journey. It's not easy. It's not automatic. Don't hear me say that. Mary's yes was the first of many yeses. This is what she writes. By the end of 2020, I had graduated school and was working in a hospital as a clinical dietitian with UNICEF. While I loved my job, my relationship with God was still fractured. He was everything to me, so I had to numb myself to survive the day-to-day without feeling close to him. I often felt hopeless. My aunt and uncle have lived in Champaign for a long time, and in 2021, my mom and I came for a visit here, and we ended up going on a tour of the campus of U of I because my cousin was going to school there, and that's when the idea came to me that maybe I should go to grad school. Maybe a change of scenery would help my relationship with Jesus. At this point, I was desperate. I was willing to try anything. And so I prayed for the first time in a very long time. And I said, God, you know I love you and you're everything to me. I put this in your hands, have your way. And in December of 2021, I applied. But by May of 2022, I still hadn't heard anything and I was not feeling hopeful. I came back here for another visit in the month of May. And during that time, I ended up um, doing another tour of the school. I had an appointment with the head of the department and she encouraged me to email a few of the professors and ask if any of them would meet with me. Well, one of them wrote me back and asked for a meeting the next day and our meeting lasted three hours and she ended up offering me a position during that meeting in her lab to do a PhD in human nutrition. She wanted me to start as soon as possible, so I had three weeks to get back home and work out the crazy details of my student visa. And 23 days later, I was back here ready to start my PhD. You know, so often, this is how it starts with God, right? It's a little whisper, go to grad school. And then his plans and his purposes unfold through supernatural connections and invitations. And her prayer, may it be, Lord, I am your servant, may it be. Mel concludes with this. I came to the vineyard with my aunt who attends during that trip of May, in May of 2022. The first message I heard was the power of story. And I don't want to sound selfish, but I felt like God had prepared that message just for me. He was speaking directly to me for the first time in many years. God has a plan for me. He is writing my story and my heart has begun to heal. In coming to this church, I've begun to feel his love again. I feel connected. You see, part of God's plan to bring me here to this community was way bigger than my PhD. It was bringing me to a family, to a church where I could heal. My program has been fulfilling and I can say with confidence that I like being a scientist. My dream is to work for the United Nations because I have a heart for justice. I know with the Holy Spirit living inside me, I have an incredible advantage. You see, his plans and his ways are definitely higher than mine. I've learned to let God surprise me. I can tell him what I want, and I do. But in the end, if it's something completely different, I'm 100% okay with that. I know his plans for my future are better than any plan that I can come up with. You see, Jesus is my hope, 
and I trust him. I can say that I would never have been able to get here if it wasn't for him. All of this would have been impossible in my own strength, but nothing is impossible for God. I live in his hope. This is Mel's story, and Mel's here today. So could we honor her for just a moment? I don't know where she's at. I love sharing your stories. It's always such an honor and a privilege. You see, what God is doing in Mel's life, he wants to do in your life. In every single one of our lives, he wants to move and breathe and and make it clear what we've been created to do, the good plans that he has for each of us. And so I'm gonna invite you to stand if you're able. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna head into a time of worship. And during worship, we're gonna take communion together um, in the middle of worship. And then we're gonna do some ministry. But I'm gonna pray for us that our hearts would be open. I know there's disappointment in this room. I know there's pain. I know there's questions. And I wanna say that Jesus is big enough for all of it. And so Jesus, we welcome you here into this space. We turn our attention and our affection towards you. And we say, come Holy Spirit, Give us hope where we've been hopeless. Fill us with fresh faith that you are working in us and in our plans and in our purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.